Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Historically Speaking Podcast, Uncommon History with an Unconventional Pair. I'm Rebecca Robbins. And I'm Kim Kimmel. I'm a singer and actress. And I'm a retired history teacher. He was my history teacher in college. And now we've been married for 22 years. Sometimes quirky, sometimes obscure. But this is the kind of history you actually want to remember. Hello, and welcome to episode 49 of Historically Speaking Podcast. Wow, 49th episode, huh? One away from 50. <laughs> Who would have thought? I didn't think that when we started this back in, I think it was October of 2020. Yeah, how long did you think that we would do this before you would get, you would uh, get bored? Or I wasn't sure about that, but if you had told me we were going to end up uh, doing our 49th episode, I would have been a bit incredulous. <laughs> uh-huh. But it turned out to be a pretty good idea. Uh, yeah, pretty good, and we're going on two years now. Yep, two years in October. Yep. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I can tell. <laughs> I can absolutely tell. Okay. All right, so today... Today, uh, we're going to cover the Dreyfus Affair. Now, not Richard Dreyfus. No, this is Alfred Dreyfus. Alfred Dreyfus, the Dreyfus Affair would really rock not only France in the late 19th, early 20th century... But really, all of Europe, all of the West, was quite aware of this in Britain, in America, and elsewhere. Wasn't it about the first major international trial? Well, I don't know. I can't offhand address that. I mean, uh, I think it might have been, yes. But it certainly received tremendous attention, and uh, it rocked France to its core. As it should have. As it should have, yes. So let's get to Alfred Dreyfus. Yeah, let's start with him. Alfred Dreyfus was born in 1859. He would not die until 1935 at the age of 75 years of age. Hmm, okay, that's pretty good. He was born in Alsace-Lorraine. And when he was born in Alsace-Lorraine, it was part of eastern France. But Alsace-Lorraine was lost to Germany in the Franco-Prussian War of 1870-1871. And Alfred Dreyfus and his family, he was still a boy then, they moved to another part of France. They, they left Alsace-Lorraine because they didn't want to be under German rule. The Dreyfus family was Jewish. They were relatively well off. And a Dreyfus came... Weren't they in the manufacturing business? I think they were in manufacturing, yes. Right. Okay. And Dreyfus was one of many siblings. And uh, eventually he went into the army. And he was highly intelligent. So He's, as a young man. As a young man, he went into the army. And uh, he did very well. I mean, he finished uh, high in his class. And he was... So it was uh, military college? Yes, right. Okay. Military college. And uh, what is it? The Ecole Militaire? I don't... I forget. Really, your French is so impressive. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. Um, but eventually he rose to the status of captain. All right. Now, what's interesting about this is that he was Jewish. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism in France at the time. Now, okay. why is that? Oh, well, the history of anti-Semitism, I and mean, we could do a whole podcast on that or, or two podcasts on that. There's a variety of reasons for that. It goes back centuries. It's rooted in a lot of ignorance and jealousy and uh, hatred and all kinds of negatives. And I'm not saying that because I'm Jewish. I'm not Jewish. But uh, I decry anti-Semitism. It's a very ugly thing. And 
Anyway, there was a lot of that in France at the time. I mean, there were entire newspapers that were published that were deeply anti-Semitic, like by Edouard Drummond, who really hated Jews. There was a lot of hatred of Jews. And people just accepted this. A lot did, and a lot, a lot of French didn't. I mean, a lot of French found this wrong, but a lot of French were very uh, deeply anti-Semitic. There were other German, uh, sorry, French Jewish officers beside Dreyfus, but it was unusual to be uh, a to French be officer, officer and Jewish. But uh, his career looked like it was going pretty well. He was in his mid-30s. And then in he was married and had a He's family. married. He has children. And he, in October of 1894, he was arrested for treason. What? Just out of the blue? Well, what had happened was a piece of paper known as the Bordereau, famous Bordereau, was found by a French maid in the German embassy. She was actually working for the French government secretly. Oh. And it had writing on it, and it had to deal with information about the French military, artillery, troop maneuvers, uh, things of that nature. And so top, she top secret information, probably. Yeah, pretty top secret information, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want the, German, the Germans to know this if you're looking at it from the French point of view. And, and she, she just happened to come across it. Yeah, well, she, I don't know if she saw it thrown into the wastebasket or whatever, but she came across it, and she passed it on to the French military, the French government, and so on. Well... This piece of paper, known as the Bordereau, was examined by a number of French officers and a handwriting expert and so on. And to make a long story short, they came to the conclusion that it was in Alfred Dreyfus's handwriting. Because they got copies of his handwriting and they compared it to the Bordereau. And they said, this is the man who wrote this. Well, what happened then was Dreyfus, in October of 1894, was arrested for treason. And he uh, was tried by a military tribunal, and he was convicted two months later on December 22nd, 1894. Wow, so the trial took two months. Well, I don't know exactly when the trial started. but uh, Gotcha, but from his arrest right. to when he was convicted. Right. It wasn't that long. It was just a matter That's of fast. two months or something like that. Yeah. Yes. And he was sent in April of 1895 to Devil's Island. Now, before he was sent to Devil's Island in 1895, he was branded. He was stripped. Uh, there was a ceremony where an officer who's accused of treason is stripped of all his uh, insignia. His sword is broken. It's a highly humiliating uh, endeavor. And he had to go through all of this. And he and all along... And Dreyfus, that's all in the public. It, oh, very public. Very public before uh, hundreds of hundreds of other soldiers, if not thousands and uh, a, a totally humiliating phenomenon. And Dreyfus, through this all, protested his complete innocence. He, he said, I, I, I am innocent. I love France. I never did this. I didn't write this. He never wavered on that at all. And so he was sent off to Devil's Island. And Devil's Island was actually a penal colony in French Guyana. It, it wasn't just one island. It was actually... Which is what, south of the equator? Uh, it's close to the equator. It's okay. very, I mean, French Guyana is the only colony left in the Western Hemisphere by a European power. Uh, to this day? To this day, yes. The capital is Cayenne, which is where you get the Cayenne pepper. Oh. And about 98% of French Guyana is forest. And the penal colony there actually has some parts of it on the mainland and some parts on islands. And one of the islands is called Devil's Island. And just in a more expansive way, the entire penal colony was just loosely referred to as Devil's Island. But, I see. But there's a specific island yes, that is Devil's Island. Yes, there's a specific island. island called Devil's Island, and that's exactly where Dreyfus was placed. Oh, that sounds like hell. Oh, I think it was. He will spend over four years going on five years there. I mean, just thinking about the movie Papillon. 
Oh, yes. Which is a great film with Steve McQueen. With Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. But it really gives you a feel for Uh, how how horrible. Oh, yeah. How terrible it was. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I think I think death would be preferable. Absolutely. There there, ha- there were some successful escapes from Devil's Island, from the penal colony there. Not many, but uh, some occurred. Like but, Papillon. Uh, well, people question Papillon's uh, account of that. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that, but okay. uh, it's still a great movie made in 1973, and I highly yeah, recommend. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Because it gives you a feel. It gives you a feel for how, how terrible it was. And I mean, he was there. He was completely innocent. He's completely innocent. Well, that alone we, would drive me out of my mind. He had to leave his wife, his children, his country, everything. He's on this remote island in the Atlantic, and he's chained every night. And it's it must have been worse than hell. I mean, I think I think death would be preferable to that. It was terrible. Anyway, so meanwhile, back meanwhile, in France. We, meanwhile, we come to a rather heroic figure in all of this. Uh, this is a French officer named Georges Picard. Okay. okay? Did now, they have a relationship before this? Uh, were they, they may have. They may because they were both French officers. They may have had a passing relationship. Oh, or, okay. You know, knew of each other. So it's just another fellow officer. Right. But in 1896, Picard became the head of French intelligence, oh. known as the Douzième Bureau, and information came to him about continued information coming to German officials. And he looked at the handwriting that was oh, given to so him. so it's still happening. Yes. Even though the guy they think did it. Right. Is, is, is on Devil's Island. He's been on Devil's Island for over a year. I so, mean, to me, that'd be like, ding, ding, ding. Well, that's exactly what happened with Picard. He said, oh, wait a minute. This handwriting I have before me. And then he looked at the Bordereau that convicted Dreyfus. He said, it's the same handwriting. <laughs> And he couldn't, this, this, what he had before couldn't. him couldn't be Dreyfus because he was on Devil's Island. Okay. So he knew so, it was So Picard else. brought this to the attention of his superiors. And they told him to shut up, <laughs> basically. That's terrible. They told him, they said, they said, no, no, the case is closed. We don't need to open this. It would be a humiliation for the French military to admit that they were wrong. And uh, you could be wrong. They told him you could be wrong. And, and uh, we just don't want to deal with this. And But they're still that. a traitor. You would think they'd want to find that person, the you right th- person. You would think so. Well, it's going to get it's going to get even worse. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so the next year, uh, Picard, very frustrated, he brought this to the attention of Dreyfus's lawyers who had defended him in the initial trial. So he's not letting this go. No, Picard, to his great credit, is not letting it go. And I would mention this, too. Picard was not Jewish, so he's not doing it from any Jewish perspective. He's just doing it because he thinks it's the honorable thing to do. Right. Well. So Dreyfus's lawyers get a hold of it. Yeah, so now it becomes much more public and... So more people begin to realize that there's something not right here. And then Picard, because he insists that this should be followed through, he sent to Tunisia. <laughs> Just to get him out of the picture. Just to get him out of France. He sent to a, a What's remote, happening in Tunisia? Remote, well, France is in Algeria and Tunisia at that time. They, they control that Are they that fighting territory. or are they just... Well, yes, they, yes it wasn't easy uh, in Algeria and Tunisia. And, of course, eventually they would lose all of that. Um, but so they just so he's uh, well. Eventually, they would uh, arrest Picard for forgery, which was totally bogus, because there was a, another French officer. I named, guess after he got back from Tunisia. After he got back, and there was another French officer named Major Hubert Henri, and it turned out that he forged documents saying they had been written by Dreyfus, when in fact he forged them. And eventually he was caught and he was he was asked if he did this and he denied it at first, but he broke down within a short period of time. 
and he was put in jail in August of August 30th of 1898, and the next day he was found dead. Oh. So there's another... Probably because he was afraid that he'd have the same fate that Dreyfus did. Well, that he he had done wrong, that he had forged these he... documents and so on. Now we get to the real villain. So we know this is all happening, and yet hmm. Dreyfus is still sitting. Right. And Picard, to his credit, knew who wrote what he had before him, and it was another French officer, Major Ferdinand Esterhazy. Oh, he knew it was... Yes, he, he, he pinned it down to Esterhazy. When he went to his French superiors, he said, it wasn't Dreyfus that wrote the Bordereau. It was Esterhazy who wrote it. And here, look at the different. Look at how similar it is. They dismissed it. And Esterhazy protested his innocence, of course, once he was asked about this. In fact, what happens is in January of 1898, they actually try Esterhazy because the evidence against him is so conclusive. They find him innocent. How? How If they can find an innocent man guilty and a guilty man innocent. Right. I think, once again, it's because the French military simply didn't want to admit that they had made a major error. So I'm just, how much public access was there to these trials and what was a good happening? Bit, a good bit. In fact, just two days, like a two, one or two days after Esterhazy was declared innocent, this is in January of 1898, the great French writer Emile Zola wrote one of the most famous articles ever written for any newspaper, J'accuse, I accuse, and he accused the French president and the French government of covering up everything about the Dreyfus affair that Dreyfus was innocent, that Esther Hazy was guilty and they declared him innocent, that the whole thing was a mess and it reflected... How did he, how did he know that? Just based he had on... Come, he, had, he had been given information by Dreyfus's lawyers. He had come across information. Uh, many people had this information by now. And by the way, Emile Zola was, was then prosecuted for libel. Uh, and he had escaped to England for about a year. They, it's almost like they, nothing would stop the military from covering up right. this mistake. And you had many individuals that were, what would they call, they were called Dreyfusards. They were pro-Dreyfus, okay? People like Emile Zola, the, the other French writer, a great French writer, Anatole France, the politician Georges Clemenceau, who would go on to be a, a great premier for France, especially during World War I. They took the side of Dreyfus. But then you had a whole group that were called the anti-Dreyfusards, the ones who felt that Dreyfus was guilty and that this was a stain on the French military, on the French Republic. This is the Third Republic we're in, by the way, which will last from 1870 to 1940. And it was a stain on the Catholic Church. A lot of a lot of Catholics, including Catholic clergy, were... Why would it be a stain on the Catholic Church? Because of the anti-Semitism that ran in the Catholic Church at that time in many in many areas. So you have the French army and the Catholic Church and much of the French government saying, oh, no, Dreyfus is guilty. We don't want to... Well, there was so much information that had come out by 1899. Dreyfus was brought back from Devil's Island and retried. Wow. He okay. must have been a different person when he came back. Uh, I, I think he aged 20 years in four or five years, yes. I think people remarked about that. Well, they found him guilty again. <laughs> How? How? How could they find him guilty with all this information? Uh, but they found him guilty again. But then what happened was, since there was such an outcry by so many French that were pro-Dreyfus, and, and by this time it was beginning to embarrass France elsewhere, like, for instance, in, in Britain. By the way, with respect to Esther Azzi, the real traitor, mm -hmm. he fled to England later in 1898. 
After his own trial. After his own trial in January, in September so of 1898. he was getting a little too hot for him. Yeah, he was getting a little too hot for him, and he fled to England, where he will remain until his death in 1923. And once he got to England... Oh, what a snake. What, what, once he got to England, he admitted that he was the culprit. How could he live with himself? He really disliked Jews. He f was very pro-German. Um, I don't know how he could live with himself. I mean, knowing you sent an innocent man to prison... Yes. And you are the guilty one. I know. Isn't that awful? That would just eat. That would eat me alive. I, right. I couldn't. I couldn't deal well, with that. Well, I think a lot in the French military knew Dreyfus was was innocent, and they they didn't care. That's what's mind blowing about this. Yeah. Well, the French. What happened then? When Dreyfus was found guilty a second time in 1899, the French president pardoned him. Now Dreyfus hesitated at first to accept the pardon because if you if you're pardoned, it means you, you're guilty. All right. right, you have to admit your guilt. Yeah, right, and but Dreyfus said he could not go back to Devil's Island. He just couldn't do it. So he very reluctantly accepted the pardon, but he himself said, I'm free, but I, I still don't have my honor. Oh, he's well, right. Well, people kept fighting for him. People kept fighting for Dreyfus. Information kept coming out. What's uh, he doing at this point? Now that uh, he's, he's, basically, he's back uh, in France. Dreyfus is basically confined to his home. It's almost like a polite house arrest. And, of course, there's tremendous hatred still against him because many people don't believe the facts before them. I mean, oftentimes for many people, facts are optional. True. I have, I have dealt with true. many people for whom facts are optional. Yeah, um, they make up their minds and that's, that's right. it. Ideology trumps facts oftentimes. And that's the case. I can't imagine what his wife oh and my his gosh, children what his wife would have gone through, what his children would have gone through. Well... It got to a point where the French government simply couldn't just leave it at the pardon stage. So in 1906, in a civilian court... Now, wait, hang on. Why why couldn't they? Just because of all the pressure they were getting? Yes, all the outside? pressure. This was a stain on all of France. I mean, it really... So this is after the I accuse article came out. That came out in January of 1898. Dreyfus is tried again in 1899, found guilty again. Okay, but he's pardoned by the French president. But he's, you know, he, he doesn't have his honor, as he said. He just has his freedom. And, and the freedom was curtailed. Eventually, there's so much pressure that in 1906, a civilian court came to the conclusion that Dreyfus was completely innocent. He had never been a traitor. He had been a loyal Frenchman, a loyal French officer. He was actually given the Legion of Honor. Wait, how did it go from a military tribunal then to... They didn't trust... I don't think they trusted the military tribunals at So how point. could they do that? Well, the French government has control of the military, not the other way around, so they made that decision. So the government... The government made this, this decision, a civilian yes. trial. Right, right. And Dreyfus is found... So this uh, is his third trial. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so... He's actually given the Legion of Honor. He's advanced from captain to major. So, wait, what's the timeline on all of this? Well, he was pardoned in 1899. This is in 1906. Okay. So, for five, six years, yeah, he's a free man, but he's considered to be a guilty man who was pardoned, not uh, an innocent man. In 1906, he's declared completely innocent of all charges. And, and immediately is he restored? He's re reinstated in the French military. He's advanced to the rank of major. Why on earth would he want to rejoin the military? He loved France. He, 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 he you felt, can love France and not be in the military. Well, there were many in the military, though, that were on his side, like Picard. Okay. What this, happened to Picard? 
Uh, Picard, that's interesting you ask. Picard, who I think is a very admirable individual in all this. Because it's really, he's right? the one who... He would eventually serve as the Minister of War in Georges Clemenceau's first cabinet from 1906 to 1909. So even though he was arrested and... Right. All of that was... All the charges were dropped against him. In fact, Picard would eventually be made a general. And he would serve in Clemenceau's first cabinet from 1906 to 1909 as Minister of War. So... And Dreyfus would go on to fight in World War I for France the entire four years. And he would eventually reach the status of lieutenant colonel. So he was advanced again. And Dreyfus... He, he, he was never made general. No, he's never made general, but lieutenant colonel is a pretty pretty high ranking. That's pretty good. Uh, I mean, he went from captain, stripped of all that. Then he was made a major in 1906. And then during World War One, at some point, he was made lieutenant colonel. And then he retired from the army, I think sometime in the early 20s. And he lived a very quiet life after that. And he died in 1935. Was there any type of monetary or any type of public apology I think there were, right. there were some public apologies by some, and there were many others that refused to apologize. For instance, Esther Ozzie himself remained very anti-Semitic to the end of his days. Didn't he actually write something to the effect that he was guilty? Yes, he actually told like a, a, a reporter in England that he was the culprit. Yeah. He fled to England in September of 1898, and shortly thereafter, he admitted that he was the culprit. Now, yeah. why couldn't they extradite him back to France? I don't know that they it. had an extradition treaty. I'm not sure. I don't know the reason. Oh, That's a good question. I don't know didn't. why they couldn't do that, but they didn't. And was it his testimony saying that he was the one who actually did it that ultimately led to... Well, not really, because Dreyfus he admitted being... that in late 1898, and Dreyfus was, was tried again in 1899 and found guilty again. Even though this other guy says, I, know, I did this it, is, I'm this the is, bad this guy. Is, I think this goes to the, to the depth of the anti-Semitism. And also, not just anti-Semitism, but the absolute refusal by the military as a whole to admit that they made a mistake. Do you think this still happens in the military? Oh, I, I think it happens at the individual level and at the military level and at every level. It's very difficult for a politician or a soldier or any uh, human being, oftentimes, to admit that they were wrong. That's but something else I'd come across. Links? This is what makes the Dreyfus affair so fascinating because it's so clear that he's innocent, and it's it went on you know, and on. It makes you angry. Uh, yeah, I think I, mean, I think that's you... an, I think that's an understandable reaction. And the man remained loyal to France all his life. That's he, what blows my he mind. He fought for France in World War One. I. I can't believe he went back to the military. Mm. I mean, what was to keep them from doing it again? Well. That's a good question. I don't, I, I guess they could have, they didn't. Uh, maybe that would have been just too charged. Because I'm sure there were still people, even in the military, who right. didn't but trust I, him. Once again, didn't... though, to the credit of many individuals, like the writers I mentioned, Zola and France and uh, Clemenceau, there were many French who were knew that Dreyfus was innocent. Uh, the heroic Picard, who was the head of French intelligence, who brought, who found all this out. So there, this really divided France, I think, down right down the middle, like 50-50. This was really something that... So this wasn't isolated just to Paris and... and oh, no. This was this was a, not only a national event. This was an international event. Yeah, because didn't even the U.S. Oh, oh there was Yeah, there was a lot of commentary in American newspapers. Uh, Britain followed this. Belgium. Uh, all, you know, absolutely. This was this was a major incident. And Dreyfus was, was innocent. But there were many people that went to their death thinking he was still guilty. Wow. Yeah. And then didn't his son also join the military? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, his son actually served in the military. And uh, I think his daughter did not die until the 1980s. Really? I believe, yes. I bet mm. she had some stories to tell. 
I think that they must have had a lot of stories to tell. I think that did this... He, uh, did he ever write anything, any account of his time in I think Devon's he, Island? I think or... he kept very much to himself. I don't know uh, I don't know if some of his letters have been published or so on. That's a good question, too. I don't know that. Because yeah, uh, you would feel like, who can, who can I trust? You know, just to bring up Alfred Hitchcock here, a lot of Alfred Hitchcock's films deal with an innocent person who's accused of doing something terrible. You see this in North by Northwest. You see it in his film, The Wrong Man. You see this in Strangers on a Train and so on. And this is a classic example of it in real life. This is a completely innocent man. And eventually, thankfully, he was exculpated completely. That's incredible. But it's known as the Dreyfus Affair. I sometimes pronounce it Dreyfus. I know. Is it Dreyfus? Right? I go back and Dreyfus? forth. Because we, yeah, right, you right. know, Richard Dreyfus. Right. We all know right. him. Right. But I think it's the, the more correct pronunciation is Dreyfus. But he led one hell of a life. He certainly did. And, and the fact that he rejoined the military after all that he'd been put through and fought heroically for his country right. after they completely betrayed him and abandoned him. Well, part of his country didn't. I think it's important to realize that part of his country did abandon him and part of it didn't. And he looked to the best of France, uh, which I think a patriot should do with their country, to look to the best that that country puts forth and not the worst. That's hard to do. Well, especially if even, you were... Even in this day and age. Especially if you were Alfred Dreyfus, but he did it. But he did it, and it's yeah. quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a great film uh, that we watched. Oh, you mean know, I confess? I, I'm sorry, I accuse. I, accuse. <laughs> I confess. I was you, thinking you of, thinking I'm Hitchcock still thinking again. of Hitchcock because that's a 1952 film with Montgomery Clift. Um, I, yeah, I, I accuse with uh, Jose Ferrer in the lead as Alfred Dreyfus. I believe Jose Ferrer either produced or directed that. Oh, okay. Of the, yeah. And, um, I think it's worth watching. It's made in 1958, and uh, I found it to be a very interesting film. It was actually a box office flop financially, but many great What's films. What a heavy story. I mean, yeah. but Jose Ferrer, of course, was a great actor. Brilliant. Yeah. And, a, and it's a brilliant portrayal, I think. Of yeah. Peter O'Toole said he learned more Jesus. about acting from Jose Ferrer than from anyone else. And Peter O'Toole was a great actor. Wow. That's amazing. So, yes, we I would recommend that film, 1958. Yeah, we'll put that in the I notes accuse. as well. Yeah. Oh, Franz. Yeah. <laughs> Well, France at its best is very impressive, um, but France at its worst is it's like... terrifying. Yeah, well, what nation doesn't have a bad side to it? But yeah, this really tore France apart. That's and it. by the way, just a, a note here on Picard, who I think is an heroic figure that, that really... What he suffered because of well, all of this. Well, he suffered too, but he actually, he actually uh, died from a, a fall from a horse in 1914. Oh, that's a Yeah, a shame. I think he was only like 59 years old or something like that. I wonder if he broke his neck or something. I don't know what the cause of death was, but it was from the fall of a horse. But uh, I think Picard emerges as the greatest heroic figure in the yeah, Dreyfus but affair. but for him. With the exception of Dreyfus himself, who I think is an heroic figure. Absolutely. Yeah. But for Picard. But for Picard. That information would have been lost. I think I think so. Or buried. Yeah. And All it takes is one, one truth pursuer. Well, truth is a very stubborn thing. And if you're diligent enough, you can nine times out of ten find it out. You just have to dig. And uh, that happened in the Dreyfus Affair. Yeah. He owed him a lot. I think so. Well, in the movie, it's very touching at the end where Dreyfus is made a major and Picard is made a general and they salute one another. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very moving scene. Not that I want to give anything away, but, you know. Right. Yeah, it's a very that's a very touching scene. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, well, I guess that wraps up episode 49. 49. Okay. Guess what the next one is? Uh, episode 50, but I don't know what we're doing. 
Well, I know you really, really, really want to do one particular topic. Yeah, I do, but you didn't want to do it. But I think... You're going to acquiesce? I think I might. Okay, folks, then what we're going to do for the next one... Remember, we we did a podcast on Macbeth, the historical Macbeth, and then the fictional Macbeth of Shakespeare. Correct. We're going to do a podcast on King Arthur the historical King Arthur, and then the legendary King Arthur, and contrast the two. Because the Arthurian legends are probably the greatest cycle of legends in the history of Western civilization. They are beautiful. They are wonderful. They are enchanting. I've been in love with them since I've been a boy. And uh, from my studies of the past, I got very interested in the historical Arthur, a very different phenomenon from the legendary Arthur. Very different. Right. So and that's what we're doing recently for... Recently, they think they found the tomb of Arthur. Well, they they found it like six or seven times now. But this time, it's really <laughs> right, the right, right one. Right. But we'll cover that in the next episode. So episode 50, get ready. Yeah. King Arthur. Go, go watch Excalibur to prep. Oh, Excalibur, the 19th. 1981 film is a great prep for this. It is a wonderful, wonderful film directed by John Boardman. I highly recommend it. Well, and there's also the musical Camelot. Yeah, that's that's okay. That's I find that kind of fluffy. There's also the Kennedy version of Camelot. Well, yes, that's kind of fictional. <laughs> I don't want to go there, though. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, At least not in this episode. Anyway, so are we done? Yes. Okay. So thanks, everyone, for listening and for being here. We do appreciate your support these past almost two years now. Yes. And here we are working our way to 50. So until next time, stay well, stay safe. Goodbye. Well, friends, here we are at the end of the podcast. Be sure to check out the links in the show description to find some of the resources we used for this episode. Also, if you've enjoyed listening please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a virtual high five by leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. And if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at historicallyspeakingpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at historicallyspeakingpodcast. That's it for today. And again, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. And remember, if you want to know what the future holds, study the past.